fourth chapter. And while you're turning there, I want you to imagine a ridiculous situation. Okay, so we're at the next EDP meeting. It's me, the other deacons, the other elders, well, the elders. And we decide, you know what? We're going to build a human pyramid. And we're like, all right, who's got the base? All right, so, so we're looking around, and we're like, all right, Kirk, John, Todd, you guys look strong. We're going to put you at the base of our human pyramid. They're like, okay, who's got the middle? And we're like, well, I guess, I guess Stephen and Richard, they, they can go in the middle. And then it's like, well, who's going to go on top? We've got to get someone really light. And I guess because we're being nice, uh, you know, Cody, he brought his son, David. So we'll put David right there at the top. So we got, all right, boom, human pyramid complete. But, uh, but what if we decided to build our human pyramid a little bit different? Like, what if instead of putting David at the top where it's the obvious place to put him, what if we decided to be really crazy and we're going to put David at the bottom and, and John on the top. You think that would work? No, no, I, I really, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of confidence in the strength of young David, but I do not believe that that would work. Or um, what if, all right, we got normal pyramid arrangement again, but then what if Kirk, uh, he says something really mean to Todd about air conditioning, and, you know, Todd gets really mad and just punches him, you know, because obviously that's, that's the kind of person Todd is. And... Um, <laughs> No, like, that wouldn't work very well either because then we got two people at the base of our pyramid that are, like, fighting each other, and our pyramid is not going to be very strong if we've got a bunch of fighting going on at the base of the pyramid. So the pyramid falls over again, so that's not going to work either. Well, what if, same pyramid arrangement, but what if Stephen, right in the middle, he gets a text from Kelly, like, Stephen, what are you doing? And, you know, he stops to read the text, and, of course, you can't be part of the pyramid and read your text at the same time, and so the pyramid falls. We understand I've, you know, pushed this, this image to its ridiculousness. But anyway, we understand that a pyramid or anything where we're working together like that, it requires that we are a team, that we can trust each other, that we can rely on each other, that we have the strength and the connection to make it work. And of course, there are limitations to this analogy, but the church is kind of like a pyramid in that sense, that we need each other. We need to be able to trust each other. We need to be able to rely on each other. We need to have the strength and the unity to make it work or else, uh, you know, we don't collapse the entire church, but problems happen. And so we need to be bound together in unity. And so we, uh, we're in Ephesians chapter four this morning. And of course, we're continuing this idea of building the household of God. And so far in Ephesians, we've been inside kind of the abstract section. So we've been talking about uh, this building, this magnum opus that God wants to create. And he's, there's a, a blueprint in chapter one of, of a sanctified people who are given an inheritance of the Holy Spirit, who are redeemed and set apart. That's what God wants to create. He gets Jesus to do that. And Jesus comes in and he, uh, he unites us where we couldn't be united. He turns old, recycled, terrible, dead-in-their-sins bricks into something useful. And then in chapter 3, we get to talk about the excitement of how awesome this is going to be and how we need to be filled with the Spirit. Well, now we start to get to chapter 4 where things begin to get practical. And in this chapter... Paul is going to tell us some things that each one of us individually need to do. And that's why this pyramid is, is really an excellent uh, example, because I think it helps us to visualize the fact that every one of us needs to be engaged in 
the work of the church. And if one of us is failing, it's going to create problems for the other. We all have a role to take as parts of the body. We all have to work together to make this work. And so that's the overarching theme that I want us to enter this chapter with. Uh, But we're going to go through, uh, there's going to be some more theoretical stuff toward the beginning. And then as we get to the second part, it's going to get more uh, more practical for us. So we'll start with the first few verses. We'll start with just actually verses one through three. So Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I want to point out two things from this text. First of all, Paul calls us, he tells us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And this is, of course, a reference back to chapter one. Uh, There's different parts of chapter one, but this, that blueprint idea that we've been talking about, that this is what God has envisioned for us, that he wants us to be a set apart people, And Paul says, therefore, because of all the stuff we've talked about, because of God's plan, because of all the things that God put in this, be that. Walk according to the way that God wants you to be. Walk according to your calling. But the second thing that's going to be crucial for this chapter is he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That the spirit binds us together. The spirit has done the work to unite us as we are supposed to be. And he says, now maintain the unity of the spirit. And that's going to require a lot of things. It's going to require peace. It's going to require patience and bearing with one another and humility and gentleness. These things that help us because unity and um, gentleness, they're they're not the kinds of things that really come naturally to us. We uh, like to divide. We like to get mad sometimes. And So the spirit calls us to be different. It calls us to be transformed kind of people. It calls us to be patient with one another and to endure and to love one another, to be selfless. And those are the kinds of things that we're going to need if we want to maintain the unity of the spirit. But then Paul is going to go on, uh, not exactly a tangent, but uh, something that doesn't quite follow that exact Uh, line, the therefore and the the practical stuff, which we're going to pick up in the second part of the chapter. At first, he wants to talk more about our unity. And so he says in verses four through six, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We know this text, these are the classic, you know, seven ones. And Paul means it for this to be something that, that unifies us. We all have this in common. This is uh, the sun around which our solar system uh, you, circles, that we have this as our tether point. We are bound by unity. We are bound by the oneness of these seven things. So first of all, uh, there is one body. This is what Paul's been talking about for a long time. But this, is, this should be intuitive to us that God created a church. There is one church. There's not a bunch of churches. And so what that means practically for us is that if you got beef with somebody in the church, you have two options. Either you figure out how to get along or you leave because there's only one body. That's 
We have to be able to maintain that unity. And that's why unity and patience and peace are so critical because there's only one body and we have to be either in it or not. So, in it. Second, there's one body and there's one spirit. Obviously, uh, the spirit, as we talked about, uh, and just in verse 3, gives us this bond of peace, but also referencing back to like chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we're told that the Spirit gives us access to God. It says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. That because of the death of Jesus, that these two ununitable aspects, the Jews and the Gentiles, these two groups, all can access God on the same terms through the same spirit. And that gives us peace. And then from this one spirit that gives us one access, equal access to God into the one body, we additionally are told that we have one, let's see, one hope that belongs to your calling. And this hope of our calling is, of course, uh, the hope of the inheritance that we talked about in chapter 1. And this, is, this would reference back to like chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That, as we talked about in the first uh, period, that life on this earth, we're going to be countercultural, uh, not because we're trying to be crazy, but because we're following Jesus, and the world is not going to understand that. And it's going to be difficult sometimes, and we're going to want to give up, and we're going to need endurance. But in all of that, we have this as our hope, this inheritance that God wants to give us, the inheritance that's part of that blueprint that God has had for us from the beginning. And that hope that we are all running toward together that hope that the Spirit enlightens us about, that hope gives us a unity. It's powerful. So we've got body, spirit, hope, and then we're told we have one Lord. And this, of course, is the one Lord Jesus to whom we all swear fealty, undying allegiance to the King, the enthroned Christ who rules. And that, you know, it's pretty simple. That gives us unity as well. One faith, this would be what we confess, uh, this, the belief in and the allegiance that we have toward God. And that uh, gives us a, a unity of hope. It gives us a unity of doctrine, although I think that's kind of secondary to what the, the faith itself is. But we have a, a unity in that as well. And then finally, uh, well, not finally, but then we have baptism. And this, of course, uh, it kind of is a composite of all of these. It's because of this one faith that we have. We die just as our one Lord did, and we join the one body, we receive the one spirit, and we gain that, that hope of eternal life with Christ. This baptism unites us together, and it is this, this sacrament that we have that we have all we can all remember, we can all look back to, and we can all see as we witness people being baptized that. This is, this is real. This is serious. And this is a commitment I have made. And when we can recall the fact that we have died to our old man and we have risen to walk in trust and walk in 
uh, obedience to Jesus, that, again, will give us unity. Finally, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. And again, uh, much like the one Lord, this doesn't require much explanation. We have one God. We are serving one God, not, you know, a plethora of gods, not idols that we create, but one God. And we are pursuing him, and that gives us unity as well. And so we have this all these things binding us together, as I said, the, the sun around which we are, we are circulating. And if, if without that, without that source of unity, we would, uh, like most people, find things to divide us, find things to break us apart. But when we keep this focus in mind, it brings us together. It gives us the unity that we are supposed to be maintaining. But what's really cool about this unity is that this unity, it doesn't make us all, you know, gray automaton clones. We have distinctions. There's something different about us. And I think this is beautiful. As Paul says, we'll read verses 7 through 13 now. But this grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a... Sorry, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descends is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now I want to kind of look at this backwards because what he tells us in verse 13 is that we are given these gifts, which we'll talk about in a moment, for a purpose. So that we can attain to the unity, to the full stature of the fullness of Christ, that these gifts were given to us so that we could be the strong body of Christ that we are intended to be built up into that. And that he gave us uh, evangelists and prophets and apostles and shepherds for the building up of the body. Because, you know, on our own, we're kind of puny. Remember chapter two, we're, you know, dead in our trespasses kind of people. And yet, God transformed us, his spirit gave us life, and now he's given us blessings so that we can have what we need to grow, to be stronger, to be, to be built up into what God intends us to be. And so with that, we'll go back to verse 7. He says, this grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so this text is very similar to a text that um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about, God has given the spirit to each one, um, but we have one spirit, the one spirit that unites us, and yet many manifestations of the spirit. Some people, they speak in tongues. Some people, they uh, can prophesy and they can interpret. We've got lots of different gifts, and they're all given for the building up of the body, but they all come from the one spirit. And similarly here, God gave us grace, each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he begins to explain. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he descended in the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he may fill all things. 
Now, there's a story here. Uh, this is the basic story of Christ, that Jesus was in heaven, then he descended and he came to earth, and then he was on the earth and he ascended back to heaven. And as Paul quotes this verse, which is a, kind of a, a, a free interpretation, let's say, of a, a text in Psalm 68. So Psalm 68 says that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and these, they gave gifts to God. But Paul flips this, uh, and this, this image of leading captives, it's, a, it's a kind of a, not exactly a Roman image, because obviously it's in the Old Testament as well, but you can imagine in this kind of context um, that there's this picture that they have of a victor coming back from the battle and leading all of the humiliated people behind him that he has d- destroyed in battle. That This is a, a description of the the defeat of evil, defeat of sin, and that Jesus is leading them in triumph. And when that happens, of course, when you're the triumphant victor, you have spoil, you have all these these things that you gain. And yet, rather than Jesus keeping all of his spoils of victory, he in turn gives them to us, his children, his brothers and sisters, that Our God, this whole planet wasn't just for God to win, but it was for God to win so that he could bless us. And so we receive blessings. And of course, we know uh, we could read, for example, in uh, John 14 through 16, that Jesus tells us, tells his apostles, I have to leave. I have to return before I can send you the helper. And it will be beneficial to you that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And then the Holy Spirit came and it was given to the apostles. And the apostles, of course, uh, handed it on to other people and they were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism. And so we have this Holy Spirit which is given to man after Jesus leaves. And so the story then is that Jesus comes to earth. Um, and of course, I, I know that there are different translations in verse 9, but we're going with the lower regions, i.e. the earth, Um, came to earth, defeated sin, returned to heaven with a host of captives, giving gifts to us when he he went to heaven. We receive the Spirit. And this Spirit is, in verse 7, the grace that was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But it also is um, what empowers, verse 11, um, the giving of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. And these, of course, are, are roles that are given to us for the body to be built up. And of course, I could take time to parse out, you know, what's a teacher? What's an evangelist? You know, like, what, what are all these things? But the point is that God blessed his church. He didn't leave us on our own. He didn't say, oh, here's the Bible, and then he just like left. He equipped his church with the people that they needed to be able to work together. And each of them have different roles, and each of them have different skills, as each of us have different roles and skills. But everyone has a part to play for the building up of the body so that we can, verse 13, reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal. So we've got this oneness, okay, going back to the beginning of this this section. We have this oneness that we are supposed to maintain, the unity of the spirit. And we have this oneness united by these seven things that we are pulled together by. And this body that God has intended for us, we are intended to grow up united and strong into the body of Christ. But how do we do that 
practically, and that is what we are going to get to now. I, as I said, chapter four is, is more practical, but we got to get through those first sections. And now, now we get to the practice. So since we are one, since we have this unity, that requires certain things of us. Now, going back to our pyramid analogy. We have to be stable. Remember I said we can't put David at the base of the pyramid because it's not really going to work. And in the same way, uh, we'll read verses 11 through 16. It says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, each part is working properly, as you see in verse 16. That's, that's where we get our title. And I think that's what the rest of this chapter is really about, is each part working properly. And here, it's about stability. He says, look, when you're a child, you get tossed to and fro by these, these winds of doctrine, and they sound really nice, and they, you know, they roll off the tongue, and you hear them, and you're like, oh, that sounds really great. And back and forth and back and forth, because you're not tethered. You're not stable. And if we have someone who is unstable in our pyramid, that causes problems for us because we need to be able to be a, a strong pyramid. We need to be strong and, and held together and people are relying on us. And so when we have parts of the body who are not as strong as they need to be, we need the evangelists, the teachers, and the, the shepherds to help them to grow up into what they're intended to be. And that will allow them to be no longer like verse 14, where they are children tossed to and fro by the winds, but rather to be transformed into people who can themselves, verse 15, speak the truth in love and grow up in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ. So the idea is moving from this uh, state where we are wind-tossed, weak people to strong tethered people. And how do we do that? It is by the truth. It is by the word. It is by submitting to uh, the leadership and direction of the teachers and the shepherds so that we can learn and know and be grounded in the word of God that gives us the stability that we need to be a functioning member, a strong member of the body of Christ. And so how do we do that? Well, we got to ask ourselves, I think, I Two questions. So the first is, what are we doing about the truth? Because here's the thing. Um, there are certain things, as a preacher, I will confess, that I, I like teaching a lot more than other things. You know, I, I like to talk about grace a lot more than I like to talk about judgment. And it's more fun for me to, you know, trace, you know, biblical themes. I, I just, that's, that's like my favorite thing in the world. Than it is for me to talk about, oh, you know, you got to, you know, stand your ground on, you know, X issue. But the thing is that we need both. We need the doctrine we need the truth. We need the threads. We need it all. Because the truth of God, the word of God has been revealed to us and, and all of this is given to us. And if we are not firmly rooted in the truth, if we don't know the difference between our traditions and 
The truth, if we don't know what the Bible says, then we're going to hear things and we're going to say, oh, you know, that sounds really nice. Or we're going to hear people talking about, you know, their church and how their church is flourishing after they, you know, stopped being a church and just, you know, gave up all, all morals. Like, oh, you know, our church is great and we're having so much growth and everyone's so happy. It's like, okay, but, but what, what, about the, what about the truth? Like, our, we, we got to have that because if we don't have the truth and we're not doing our job. We're not firmly tethered. We are not growing up into what we're supposed to be. We're just being tossed about. We have to have that stability. So the first question then, what do we do with our truth? We got to be grounded in it. We got to be studying it. And when we have conversations with people where they bring up something, we're like, you know, I haven't really considered that. We need to be back in the truth, back understanding what it is that God has revealed to us. And maybe we're wrong, but we need to know that from the truth. We need to not be convinced by deceitful schemes or crafting, cunning human ideas. We need to be grounded in the truth. And the second thing, to ask very similarly, if God gave us, verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the Christ, then what are we doing about that? We have elders who are picking class material and who are doing a lot of other things than just that. We've got teachers who are teaching class material. We've got uh, me, I'm talking sometimes. And there's all of these things where we have people who are trying to help our church go in the direction that we need to be going, to help us grow, to help us be grounded in the truth. What are you doing with that direction? Are you allowing yourself individually to be built up, to be transformed, to be further grounded, to be strengthened so that you're not windswept, but that you're further thoroughly grounded in the truth. Are you letting yourself be led, letting yourself be you know, built up, or are you ignoring that? Are you, you know, showing up late? Are you, you don't have your Bible lesson done? Like, we gotta be the kind of people who are letting the people that God intended to do the job that they intended to do that they are intended to do. We, gotta, we have to submit to our elders, to our teachers, to the people who are trying to help us be what God wants us to be. And if we're not doing that, then we gotta, we gotta do something different. We gotta hear this truth. We have to become stable. But what's the second thing? The second thing is that we need to be renewed, uh, which you know, is also the idea of being conformed. Let's read verses 17 through 24. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not, that that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful practices and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I'll tell you a story. Yesterday, uh, I was in bed and the sun rose and it was shining through our windows because we have you know windows that, that face the rising sun. And I was just laying there and I had my eyes closed, and it was so bright, and I was like, nope. And I just like squinted my eyes closed, because I didn't want it to be light. I didn't want to get up yet. And in the same way, 
There's this idea that the Gentiles, this, this former manner of life, which you know because chapter 2, you were once and under the influence of Satan, once uh, led about, once dead in your trespasses. You know about this. You know the way they live. You know the willful ignorance, that the light is coming in. The truth has been revealed to them, but they are willfully ignorant. Their hearts are hardened because they don't want to respond to the light. If the sun is really coming up, that means I have to get up. And if the truth is what it purports to be, then that means I have to make changes in my life. I have to submit to the lordship of Jesus. I can't be my own master anymore because, because Jesus is ruling. And so we have this old manner of life, this, this willful ignorance of the truth because we don't want to respond to it. And we have a new manner of life, a manner of life that is the way we learned Christ, that we were taught in him the truth that is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off the old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful practices and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is pretty simple. There's, there's an old man and there's a new man. He says, put away the old man and put on the new man. And this is connected to unity because I mean, we understand if we were all just doing our own things, if we're all our own master, I mean, you've read Judges, you've read the Kings, when everyone's doing whatever they want to, it's chaos. But Jesus came, he gave us unity because he gave us, among many other things, a renewed mind. And in that renewed mind, we're no longer, you know, like a building constructed from a hundred mismatched pieces assembled into something that looks like it's going to fall over at any moment but rather we are united because we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And when we are transformed, when we put on the new man, we're no longer a hundred different things, but we are united into be what God wants us to be. And instead of going after a hundred different things, we're focused. We are together transformed, conformed, renewed, into the image of God, into what he would have us to be, into the kind of bricks that are going to build a lasting structure. That's what God wants us to be. And so we have to put to death that old man. We can't keep bringing him back to life. We can't keep willfully ignoring the truth that God has revealed to us. We have to be renewed and conformed. But finally, we get to these last few sections, this last section. We must be upbuilding, and I, I tried really hard to find a better word for that. But the idea is this. Paul is going to introduce to us uh, several things that we need to put away. He's going to say, you got to put away thievery. you got to put away anger. But he doesn't just say, you have to stop being bad. He says instead, instead of stealing, get a job and give to people. Instead of being liars, be truth tellers. Instead of being angry and bitter, be forgiving people. You see, there are these ideas that, you know, remember our, our pyramid again. Remember when we got fighting at the base level and it's just, it's a, it's a terrible thing because we can't be a united structure if we're fighting. And in the same way, we can't be a united structure if we can't trust each other or if we're stealing from each other or if there's bitterness and anger. We're going to put that away because that's going to sabotage the unity, the structure that we need to build our, the church that God wants us to be. But instead, 
We're not just going to put away those things that can sabotage the church. Rather, positively, we are going to add on these things that are going to build us up. Truth. We're going to add on kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. These things that are not just going to you know, stop us from hurting each other, but are going to build each other up, help each other. And so verse 25, he says, Therefore, putting away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. I love this. He says that we, we need to stop lying to each other. And, of course, this makes sense because, you know, it, if we can't trust each other, then, then what do we have? You know, if, if I'm you know, in, a, in a real human pyramid, if I'm going to climb on top of you to like build this, this pyramid, like I need to know if there's something going on here. And if I can't trust you, then I don't want to be a part of this. And we have to have trust. We have to have um, this, this truth between us. But even more so, uh, this this is where it gets positive because I love that he doesn't just say stop lying. He says put on truth or he says speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. For we are members of one another. This idea that well, look, we're in this together. We're a team. We're, we're one united pyramid here. We need to have the truth with one another. And so like when we've got problems going on in our lives, you know, sin that are, we're just racked with, and someone says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. Like, no, you know, if I had cancer and my wife was like, how are you doing? And I, like, I didn't tell her that, like, that would be a problem because this, we're married. Like, she needs to know that kind of stuff. And in the same way, we're here together to help each other grow. And if you got sin in your life that you're ignoring or you don't have someone who is praying with you and helping you and talking with you about that, like, that's what we're here for, to help each other, to put on truth so that we can pray for one another and help each other grow into what we're supposed to be. And so we got to put away falsehood, yes, but we got to put on truth. We got to be honest with one another. We got to trust each other. Verses 26 and 27, I'll come back to in a second. But in 28, he says, um, Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. And this is uh, a, a fundamental transformation of who we are. To use the categories that Chris talked about last week, this is a moving from being a taker to a giver. That before we were living a life of what, what can people give me? And in you know, this, the idea of a thief, like literally just, you know, oh, well, that's, I just want that. And you just take and you take and you take. And he says, no, don't be that way anymore. But he doesn't just say don't do that. He says, work with your hands so that you have something to give each other. The idea is that we're here to help each other. We're here to provide for one another's needs. And We've got to move from taking to giving. I was, uh, I was thinking about this because, I don't know, maybe we have a problem with kleptomania here, but really I, I think thievery is maybe not the way that applies to us the most. But I do think about taking in terms of, of time, that all the time that people, that people have given me to, to listen to me, to talk with me, and yet, like, am I willing to, to take the time to talk with them? Or... I think about the fact that uh, Leah and I moved here back in May, uh, or I guess uh, May and a half ago. Uh, anyway, May 2020. 
And like, I had been here one time and then a bunch of like veritable strangers showed up. Like you guys came and you're like, I don't know you, but you're gonna work with us. And I was like, well, I met you one time, but thanks. And like you guys came just to, just to give, to be kind. And I was like, that's amazing. And I have to say, I'm ashamed at how long it took me to repay that kind of kindness. We need to be the kind of people who are not just looking at others and saying, what can you give me? But rather, what can I do to help? How can I be there for you? How can I give? How can I labor so that I have something to give you? That's what's going to help us move to be the kind of structure that God needs us to be. Uh, Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Look, you can hurt people with your mouth or you can build people up. What did God build a mouth to do? To help each other, to speak kind words. And so, look, you can can get mad at people, you can get angry, you can do all these things, and that's not going to help. Like, that's only going to tear down our building. What are we here for? What is the purpose? It's to help each other. So use your mouth according to that purpose. Verse 30, I love this because it shifts our focus a little bit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, so far we've been talking about unity uh, for unity's sake, kind of. Uh, that we want to be unified because we want to be an, a, a building. But why do we want to be a building? Why do we want to be a structure that is fit for use? It's because that's what God planned us to be. It's because the Holy Spirit didn't just unite us and say, hey, maintain this, and then hands off, like, just floating out there without any emotions. Like, no, he's, he's intimately invested in this. And when we fail to be what God intends us to be, when we fail to live up to the blueprint, when we fail to put to death our old men, when we fail to work together to be stable, renewed, and upbuilding, it makes God sad because he says, I put so much work into you. I labored so hard over you. Please be what I want you to be. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But lastly, he says in verse 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this is where I'll bring in verses 26 and 27. Um, Be angry and do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Here in verses 30. In verse 31, he talks about bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. These are things that they have no place here. They are, they are wrong. They are destructive. It's going to mess us up. But in verse 26, he talks about an anger that is a different kind of sort. So we've got an anger that has no place. And we have an anger that is proper. But even an anger that is proper, he says, we need to be angry, sure. But don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give an opportunity to the devil that I have seen people get frustrated about things that are good to be frustrated about, that they have this sort of righteous anger, but they let it linger. They let it poison everything about their relationship because they don't deal with it properly. Does he mean, you know, before the sun goes down? Literally, I don't think so, but I think he means with due urgency. Like, this is important. And if there's a problem between me and my brother, it needs to be resolved because If anger is not resolved, it gives the devil a foothold. If anger is not resolved, then it turns into bitterness. And bitterness, as we know, is is frustrating, is anger. And it's in verse 31, these things that that don't belong here. And so we got to put that away. We got to put aside 
these destructive feelings and these destructive ways of dealing with our feelings, but rather, in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you know how amazing it is to see forgiveness play out the way that God intended it to be? Do you know how incredible it is to see kindness and tenderheartedness? That's, that's not the way the world deals with their problems. That's not the way that the world deals with many things at all. And yet God in us, the spirit making its home in our hearts, transforms as it makes us into the kind of people that, are, that will stand out from the world. The kinds of people that are going to be built up so that they can be a part of the body of Christ. That is what we are called to be. And so, as we conclude, we've got this idea. We, God united us. He brought us together to be the church he intended us to be. Don't let him down. Instead, we got to remember, we got to get strong. We gotta be grounded in the word. We gotta be transformed to put to death our old man. And we gotta be the kind of people that are gonna help each other instead of tearing each other apart. We are relying on each other. We are a body and God has plans for us. Don't let him down. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song and it's meant to encourage you. If you've got sin in your life that has not been dealt with and you'd like to talk to us about it, uh, we'd love to help you. Or if you've never begun your journey with Christ, to be baptized. We would love to talk with you, to meet with you, to, to converse, to baptize you, whatever you need. Please come forward as we stand and sing.